Now we're turning in our Bibles once again to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 6, as we have been doing in recent Lord's Day mornings, studying together the Sermon on the Mount. We read from chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel in verse 19. You remember that our last study was concerning fasting. We have looked already in this chapter at almsgiving, why we ought to give alms and how we ought to do our almsgiving, our good works for God and toward others. Then we looked at prayer, how we ought to pray and why we pray and the motivation for prayer. And again, uh, in that detailed study of prayer that the Lord was teaching, he gives us what we know as the Lord's Prayer, but what more correctly could be termed as the Disciples' Prayer. And then in our last study, we were looking at fasting, and we saw how that that teaching of the Lord didn't just apply to fasting, but indeed apply to anything with regards to the life in Christ, which can become ostentatious very easily. There is a fine line we have been seeing between holiness and religious hypocrisy. And we're trying from the teaching and instruction of the Lord to tread that line very definitely. And so we look at treasures today and wealth and riches and possessions. Verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Let us pray for a moment. Father, we come again to these sacred words of thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we seek to know him today. We seek to hear him. We seek to be like him because we believe that this whole sermon details for us the life of the Spirit that we live in Christ. And we pray, our Father, that thou will help us to understand. We pray that this mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, will be in us. We pray that thou, by thy Spirit, will teach us, will lead us and guide us now, that I may be filled with the Holy Ghost of God to preach with power. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You've often heard it said, money is the root of all evil. And whenever you quote that, and I hope that you've picked up the mistake already, many people will uh, resort to you, that's a misquotation. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It says, love of money is the root of all evil. And that is true. It says the love of money, not money itself. And money in itself has no intrinsic moral evil. But our world seems to have turned that statement on its head. It can be capsulated in the statement of George Bernard Shaw, who was not a Christian, far from it. He said, the lack of money is the root of all evil, not the love of it. The lack of money, if there was more money in the world, people would be happier and, inferringly, people would be more righteous. 
Now we must lay down before we look at this study today, money in itself is not evil. And as we go through the writings of the Lord Jesus, uh, uh, the words of the Lord Jesus and the writings of the gospel, we find that the Lord himself commands the good use of money, stewardship and wisdom as we use our money. But as we come to these words of the Lord Jesus today, although money in itself is not evil, the Lord is warning us of the grave dangers that are inherent within laying up money and indeed laying up any treasures, whatever they may be. And the Lord is not simply speaking about money. And by starting off talking about money this morning, I don't want to uh, disillusion you at all to what the Lord is speaking about here. I believe he is talking about anything that is to us a strength, anything that is a possession that we prize and that we hold to dearly. It can be money. It can be absolutely anything. It could be a gift that we have, even a spiritual gift. And sometimes within the spiritual life, it can be our strengths that are our weaknesses. You've heard it said, and it is true, it is hard to carry a full cup. It is hard to be a Christian and have something going for you. Whether it be money, whether it be talent, whether it be skill of any kind, it is difficult because those strengths within our lives usually, because of our nature, engender pride within us. It is hard to carry a full cup. And that is why throughout the spiritual walk and pilgrimage that the Holy Spirit would bring all believers through, we must become poor in spirit. The Beatitudes in chapter 5 lays that out to us. And that is why as you mature in the Christian life, you find that God often strips away from you the great strengths, the great values that you have, and he makes us weak. He makes us weak. He humbles us because then his strength is made perfect in our weakness. We haven't got time to go into all of that today. But what we need to realize at the very outset of what the Lord is saying to us today is to beware of anything, no matter what it might be. It may be an intrinsic good thing or an evil thing, but whatever it is, we must beware of anything that causes us to lose sight of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you do that in your Christian life, my friend, you will go far for Jesus. Beware of anything that would cause you to lose sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's take money for an example, because when we talk about treasures, generally money is what comes to our mind, first of all. And when we look at the Bible, the Bible has many things to say about money. The verse that we have already quoted, the love of money is the root of all evil. We find in Matthew 19, the rich young ruler. And you remember that he was very rich. He had kept the commandments from his youth up, and the Lord Jesus told him, if you want to inherit eternal life, you must sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Not that he could inherit eternal life by his works, but Jesus perceived in his all knowledge, seeing into this young man's heart, that the thing that was his God was his money. The thing that was his treasure was his money. The Bible says that he went away very sad. And we do not know if that young man ever was converted. But using that young man as an illustration, the Lord Jesus turned to his twelve own disciples and he said to them, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. 
Now please note what the Lord Jesus was saying. He is not saying it is wrong to be rich. He is saying it is hard to be rich. It is hard to be rich and be a Christian. It is hard to be rich and be spiritual. It is not impossible, but it is hard. Increasingly, our world around us is more materialistic than it has ever been. More than ever, our church is now more affluent. In the eyes of the world, we in the West are rich. Now, I know it's all relative, but if you want to compare simply facts and figures financially, we are rich in comparison to most of the world. And therefore, the teaching of Christ is so relevant to us today, but also it becomes increasingly uncomfortable for our generation to grasp and imbibe. Our generation has made the fatal mistake of thinking that it doesn't need God. Now, of course, we Christians wouldn't go as far as saying that we don't need God. We are saved by his grace. We are walking, hopefully, according to his commands to a large extent. We may not go as far to say that we don't need God anymore. But the question that is posed by the Holy Spirit of God to us through these words today is, how dependent upon God are we really? We may not go as far to say we have no need of him, but how much do we really need him in the everyday humdrum of life? You see, we can substitute our strengths for God's provision. We can substitute our strengths even for spirituality in our life. And I think to a large extent within the church of Jesus Christ, education has substituted spirituality. Prestige and status has substituted holiness. And there are many things that we could name today and they are standing as an idol in place of what God would have us be. Degrees are more important than devotion. Intelligence rather than intercession. Sociability rather than spirituality. And the church no matter what strength she may have, no matter what strength you have individually as a Christian, the church is not exempt and immune for materialism. In fact, I would say that materialism has been one of the fatalist factors in exacting from the church of Jesus Christ her zeal that she had last century. But the irony of the teaching of the Lord Jesus to us today is this. He seems to be inferring that often those who are good at investing financially are not those who are good at investing spiritually. That is not a generalization, but, but, but simply saying that for many who can invest financially, they have no idea what it is to invest spiritually and yet the greater irony is this the fact that the best businessman the lord jesus says upon the earth is the one who makes a spiritual investment because it is the only investment that lasts forever the big question that the lord is asking cutting through whether it's money's talking about gifts or abilities the biggest question is this what are you living for what world are you living for? Where is your treasure? How would you answer that today? Where is your treasure? Do you know where your treasure is? Maybe you don't. 
maybe you would like to have diagnosed for you today where your treasure is. Well, here is a diagnosis. Here is the way you will know. The Lord Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. If you want to know where your treasure is, look for where your heart is today. So let's analyze these words together. I believe what the Lord is teaching us to do is fourfold. The first thing is this. Reinvest your values. Reinvest your value. Look at verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. He's saying, make a lasting investment. Reinvest your values. You remember the rich farmer, the foolish rich farmer, in Luke chapter 12. It was said of him as he built his barns, after knocking them down because he was doing so well, he built them bigger and he said unto his soul, eat, drink and be merry. And the Lord said, thou fool, for this night thy soul shall be required of thee, and then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And the Lord Jesus, again using this man as an illustration, says, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Now, believer today, are you rich toward God? Or do you need to reinvest your values? He says, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth. And it's literally the same word. Lay up is the same word as the next word, treasure, that you find. So you could literally read it, treasure not up for yourselves treasures on the earth. But lay up is a correct translation because it's the sense of putting something away for a rainy day. To amass wealth for yourself. To put a reserve of wealth. To keep in store. To heap up treasure selfishly just for you and yours. The word is used positively in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, where the church is instructed to, upon the first day of the week, that every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. As we are doing today in our offerings and in our givings, that is to lay aside. But that is doing it positively. We're not doing it for self. We're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ and the welfare of those in the assembly. But the Lord is saying, do not lay up in that sense for self. Why not? Why not? Because moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Corrupt, the Greek word means consume. It means to perish, to be destroyed, to be used of. It literally can mean in this context eating. We're going to see in the chapter, the rest of the chapter in the weeks that lie ahead, we're going to see how the Lord talks to us about not to worry about what you'll eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear. Tells us not to worry about those three things. And food and drink are something that will be eaten of and will go away. And the Lord is saying, don't pile up for yourselves and put your values and put all your heart into things on this earth that will corrupt, that will perish, that will be destroyed. Ultimately, the word is that will vanish. It's very interesting that in verse 16, it's the same word that is used of the Pharisees disfiguring their faces to show that they're fasting. They're destroying their faces. The Lord's saying, don't use these treasures. Don't build up these treasures on earth. 
because they will be destroyed. They will be disfigured. They will vanish. Let me give you a biblical illustration. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 17. I've told you times before, but you may not remember that there is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, remember that, and the New Testament is written in Greek. But there is an Old Testament translation in Greek for the Greek world to understand the Old Testament. Just as you have to have the Old Testament in English, the Greek world had to have the Old Testament in Greek. So men made a, a, a Greek Old Testament. And from that we can learn the meaning of some of these words. And this word corrupt, this word corrupt is used in the Greek Old Testament in Second Kings 20 verse 17. It says, Behold, the day has come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And there's the word, laid up in store. Not the word for corrupt, as I said just a minute ago, but the word for laid up in store. So you have the children of Israel and they're in Jerusalem, and as we've been learning in Ezekiel, they're going to be carried out of Jerusalem, out of Palestine, taken to a foreign land. They're going to sit there for 70 years because of their idolatry and because of their sin. And as an illustration of this word, they are being taken up with all their treasures, and their treasures are vanishing. Jerusalem vanishes. The temple drops and all their wealth is gone. That's why we are not to build up treasures on the earth. Why? Because they will be carried away. They may be carried away in your lifetime. They may be carried away at the grave where you cannot take them with you. Ultimately, if they go down your dynasty and your family, one day they will be carried away when this whole world will go up in smoke and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. But they'll vanish one way or another. That's why we are not to build them up. And again, to the overriding message of this sermon is this. The Lord is saying, if you live for down here, you will have nothing up there. But if you choose to lose out down here, you will gain up there. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life down here, for my sake, Christ says, he will find it. That means a Christian ought not to be materialistic. You can say what you like, but you cannot interpret these scriptures any other way. A Christian is not to be a hoarder on the earth. A Christian is to be a hoarder in heaven. God can bless his children. And I have the greatest respect for men who are wealthy and who are spiritual because I think it must be one of the hardest things to do in life. And Christians can be blessed with riches. But remember, we must remember their limitations. We must remember that we, we are not to put our hearts into anything on this earth apart from our Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's financial or, or other strengths that we may have. Money can buy a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. It can buy you books, but it can't buy you brains. It can buy food, but it cannot buy an appetite. It can buy dress, but it cannot buy beauty. It can buy a house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Pleasure, but not peace. Amusements, but not joy. It can buy a crucifix, but it cannot buy a savior. It can buy a church building, but it cannot buy the presence of God. Just remember, 
its limitations. I think these verses were put well by Martha S. Nicholson in her poem concerning the Christian's attitude toward the things of this world. Listen to her words. Let me hold lightly the things of this earth. Transient treasures, what are they worth? Moths can corrupt them, rust can decay, all their bright beauty fades in a day. Let me hold lightly temporal things, I who am deathless, I who wear wings. Let me hold fast, Lord, things of the skies. Quicken my vision, open my eyes. Show me thy riches, glory and grace, boundless as time is, endless as space. Let me hold lightly things that are mine. Lord, thou dost give me all that is thine. That's what the Christian attitude is meant to be to the world, and to the things of this world, and to money, and to materials, and even to gifts, even to our strengths. It is, let me hold lightly the things of this earth. If you want an excellent example of that, you have one in a young man of 22 years of age by the name of Jim Elliot. He went with his young wife, not long married, to the Auk Indians to tell those cannibals of the gospel and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on their first ever meeting with those Auk Indians, Jim Elliot at 22 years of age kissed his young wife goodbye and went to meet them and he never came back martyred for God. 22. Dead for Christ. You know what he wrote in his diary? Listen to this. One of the great blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. No doubt you know where his treasure was. Where's yours? It may be that you need to reinvest your values, but the second thing the Lord says is you may need to relocate your heart. He says, if you look at verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You need to relocate your heart, perhaps. That means, first of all, you need to locate it. You need to find out where it is. Where is your heart? What are you living for? What's all your time and energies and strengths put into? I know that we're talking to an age where this is very difficult, where many men and women have to work hard. I used to be told when I was at school, David, work as hard as you can, and then when you grow up, you'll not have to work as hard as I am when, when I grew up. I'm working that way because I didn't work at school, but it's not like that anymore. The harder you work at school, the harder you work afterwards, whether it's in a profession or a business or whatever. But my friend, work is important and we must provide for our families. We must provide for one another. But where is our heart? Have you located it? Could it be that you might need to relocate it? Could it be that you need a spiritual heart transplant? I know. That people think all this talk of sacrificial spiritual living sounds like torture. Here he goes again. Like pulling teeth coming on a Sunday morning. This Sermon on the Mount's awful, you know. We have to listen to all this criticism. And remember, it's the Lord's Sermon, by the way. But it's not torture. This is what you are misunderstanding. 
the apostle preached in the book of Acts all the words of this life. For this is life. It's not torture. Let me tell you what torture is. Torture is having your heart in things that will corrupt and pass away. That's torture. My friend, if you want to get rest, you're not going to, going to get it by putting your trust and faith in things that will pass away and things that you can lose. There's an excellent story that was told about a preacher who had a little dog and he gave the dog a bone. And he said that that dog enjoyed playing with that bone every day until the dog one day went out into the garden, dug a hole in the garden, in the earth, and buried the bone. And ever since that day, the preacher said, the dog was sitting at the rear window of the house and he was watching that spot where he buried the bone. And even if a little sparrow landed on the spot, he went berserk, barking. He said from the day he buried his bone in the earth, he didn't have any peace. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. My friend, there is a rest unto the people of God. And you know what that is? One of the things it is, is to be divorced from the world. To be cut off. And to not have a care is not to win the lottery. It is to be trusting in God. That's to not have a care. That's to have your future secure. And it may be that we need to relocate our heart. Where is your heart? Is it buried in the earth? And with every fear and with every anxiety and with everything that comes across your path, are you afraid that your foundations are going to be rocked because you've built them on the earth and not in Christ? I love reading missionary biographies. I haven't told my wife this, but I'd love to be a missionary. I might take her with me. But people think that the pastor or the preacher is the general of the Christian church. I don't think that. And I know that most of you probably don't either. But the missionary, the true God-given missionary is the SAS of the church. And David Livingstone was one of those first pioneer missionaries and I have a few books to read at the moment, but as soon as I get through them, I'm going to read this man's life story. He said this, listen to this please. I will place no value on anything that I possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. If anything will advance the interests of that kingdom, it shall be given away or kept only as by the giving or by the keeping of it, shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time and eternity. I'll give anything away. I'll keep anything. But the reason why I'll do it is for the glory of Christ and for the extension of his kingdom. Where's your heart? Is your heart like his? Ah, oh, but he was, he said he was the SAS. My friend, the church is meant to be the SAS of humanity. The church is meant to be the pinnacle of what God had envisaged and planned for all eternity. A peculiar people, zealous of good works, a holy people, a nation. And what this is, is simply the same spirit that was in Paul the Apostle, which is the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. Everything loss. 
for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them done, that I might win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto him. Let me tell you something more about David Livingstone. He labored all his life in Africa and he died on his knees in prayer. But did you know that his heart is buried in Africa? And I'm not speaking metaphorically. His literal heart, the thing that pumped blood around his body, lies in Africa. Of course, everybody thought he was mad at home. In London, they thought he lost his marbles. That's usually what happens when a man gets too spiritual. The church thinks he's gone crazy. But then when he died, he became a superstar. And they wanted to bring his body from Africa back to London and they wanted to bury it in Westminster Abbey. And if you go to London today to Westminster Abbey, you will see right at the very forefront of the altar, pride of place in the whole of that church is the body of David Livingstone. Now when the Africans heard that they wanted to take the body to London, there was an uproar. They said David Livingstone would have wanted to be buried here in Africa because his heart was in Africa. But the English insisted, he's our man and we're going to take him home. And they came over to Africa to take the body away. But the night before they were going to ship that coffin away, the Africans broke into the hold and they opened up that coffin and they took a dagger and they stuck it in his chest and they cut out his heart and they planted it underneath a tree. And there's a little village in Africa you can go to today with a sign on it that says this, at the bottom of this tree lies the heart of David Livingstone. And his body might be in Westminster Abbey, but his heart was in Africa. Where's your heart? Oh, my friend, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. What world are you living for? People say this. See him. He's too heavenly minded for any earthly good. I have not yet once, neither looking in the mirror, found one man that is too heavenly minded for any earthly good, and I think God could do with one today. Do you need to relocate your heart? Thirdly, do you need to refocus your vision? Verse 22, the Lord Jesus says, The light of the body is the eye. If your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. The light of the body, literally in Greek, that word is lamp, the lamp of the body. The way you see. If the eye is single, the Lord is saying, that word single means sound. If you've got good vision, opposed to a diseased eye, in other words, if you've got good eyesight, it will help you. And here's the question. What are you focusing on? What is your focus in life? Are you focused on two different things? Now, you know that you have two eyes. I hope everyone has two eyes. And if I've offended anyone with only one eye, I apologize. But you have two eyes, but they have to look at the one thing, don't they? If they don't look at the one thing, you'll walk into something. 
James says that a double-minded, we could translate it in this context, a double-sighted man is unstable in all his ways. Why do some people get nowhere in the Christian life? Why are some saved and stuck and never go on and mature? I'll tell you why. Because they've got bad eyesight. They're focusing on heaven and earth at the same time. And if you focus on heaven and earth at the same time, you'll get cross-eyed and you'll never get anyone where. You need to focus either on earth. And if you focus on earth, you're not a Christian. Or you either need to focus on heaven, my friend. But you can't focus on both. You could be a man with no vision here today. And I fear sadly that there are some men and women today and they have no vision for Christ. Or you could be a man with double vision. In other words, you, you can't, you're pulled between the two opinions, heaven and earth. You, you don't know what to live for. And you're secular five days a week and you're Christian two days. But Jesus says you need to be single vision. You need to be single vision, my friend. Listen. What the world needs today and what the Iron Hall needs more than it ever has is heart Christianity. Heart Christianity. C.B. Fry years ago was coaching schoolboys in the art of the sport of football and he told them that the surest way to score a goal was to throw your heart in the net and if you throw your heart in the net the ball's sure to fall. Have you thrown your heart in? It's great to see you at meetings. It's great to see you praying and hear you speaking. But have you thrown your heart in? It may be you need to reinvest your values, relocate your heart, refocus your vision, and finally reinstate your Lord. A man cannot serve two masters. You see that word master in Greek? It's the word curious, which means Lord. You cannot serve two lords. We girl once said to her, Daddy, Daddy, why can't a man have more than one wife? Where does in the Bible does it say it's not right? And after some thought, he said, no man can serve two masters. But friends, none of us can serve two masters. What you live for will determine who your Lord is. Who is your Lord? You say, but surely, Christian, their Lord is, is Jesus, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But is it? Is he your Lord? Is he the driving force in your life? Is he the motivation for everything? For I fear he is not, and that is why the church is lukewarm today. You cannot serve the world and serve God. You cannot serve yourself in your pocket and serve God. You cannot serve your gift and your prestige and serve God. You cannot serve God and mammon. And people would translate that word mammon a different way, like money. And I don't agree with that, because mammon is a personification of all wealth and avarice and all that you can have materialistically. It means this. There's a person here called mammon, or there's a person here called God. Who are you going to serve? Aesop speaks in one of his fables about a time when the beasts and the fowls were engaged in warfare. And the bat, if you've ever seen a bat, it's sort of a cross between a bird and an animal. 
And the bat tried to belong to both parties. And when the birds were victorious, the bat was strutting and winging it about saying to everybody that he was a bird. And then when the beast won, he was walking about saying to everybody, I'm a beast. But eventually his hypocrisy was discovered and he was rejected by both of the beasts and the birds. And it says, Aesop says, the bat had to hide himself and only come out at night. The Lord says you cannot. That word means it is, you are not able. The Christian is not able to serve God and anybody else. Christ and religion, it cannot be. Christ and Phariseeism, Christ and show business, Christ and commercial business, Christ and denomination, Christ and theology, Christ and science, Christ and career, Christ and family. It can't be Christ and everything. It must be Christ alone. All men have their price for selling out the Lord. For Judas it was 30 pieces of silver. And for many of us it can be almost anything. Nearly all of spirituality in the New Testament comes down to one thing, my friends, and it's this. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is Lord by right. But can I ask you, is he your Lord in reality? Is he Lord of all? Our Father, as we focus on our author and finisher of our faith, we can read in life no house, no home, my Lord on earth might have, in death no friendly tomb, but what a stranger gave. What may I say, heaven was his home, but mine the tomb wherein he lay. Father, we are commanded to be dead to this world and alive to God. We are commanded to have our heart in heaven, where moth and rust doth not corrupt, nor thieves break in and steal. Father, help us. Help us to break the moorings of this world's harbor and live on that higher plane. Let us be heavenly Christians on the earth. Lord, help us to reinvest our values if need be. Help us to relocate our heart, to refocus our vision, and to reinstate our Lord. And just now we bow our heads and we confess that he is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.